Thank you, Philip, for that uh, welcome. Uh, it is my unexpected pleasure to be able to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I, I apologise for being here because your pastor, Ian, would love to have been here. Um, but I got that desperate call yesterday morning and uh, I'm only too happy to be able to be here. And I bring you greetings from Shore Baptist. Uh, we pray for you and uh, it's wonderful to have this opportunity to be with you. Before we look at that passage in, uh, in John's Gospel, let me pray. Eternal God, who is also our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made yourself known through your word, but more importantly through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning as we come to this word, may our hearts be opened and may your Holy Spirit give us insight. Father, may you bless our meditation together for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if sometimes we can't get so familiar with, uh, with the name Jesus that we don't really appreciate the, the unique importance of who Jesus is. What gives Jesus such unique importance that uh, the New Testament tells us that there is no other name given among men by which they might be saved, be reconciled to God, but the name of Jesus what is it about Jesus that gives him such special and unique importance? You see, this was the question that really faced John when he was recording his, um, his life of Jesus. He was writing maybe, I don't know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years after Jesus' death. And he faced a culture and he faced... Uh, his people, uh, John was from a Jewish background, and, and he wrote this letter, not a letter, it's an account, uh, a history, if you like, of, of Jesus. And he wrote it to try and convince them of the unique importance of who Jesus is compared to all the other claims for our attention and their attention. He wanted to make sure they knew that Jesus wasn't just some prophet that failed in his attempt to liberate um, the Jews from the Romans. Um, he, he wanted to show them that he, he wasn't even another great rabbi like Gamaliel, who was a great teacher but then fell foul of the leaders and, and the Romans and was killed. Now he wanted his people and he wants us to realise the huge significance of the person of Jesus. Where he came from, who was he? In fact, he, he tells us toward the end of his book why he wrote it. He says in John 20 and verse 31, these things, he says, if we were to record all that Jesus did, there's not enough books to, to record it. But he says, these things that are written, are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So he wanted to tell these people, why is Jesus so important? You people that knew your Old Testament, why is Jesus so important? 
You people with the philosophers of this age, why is Jesus so much greater than any philosopher of this age? And in the passage before us, and we're going to be looking at that passage in John 1, particularly the first five verses, we see here Paul give, uh, John gives us three hugely important facts about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that should rivet our attention on him and convince us of just how important he is. And, and John begins uh, his first statement here by tracing the being of Jesus back further than his earthly ministry. And there would have been those that he was uh, speaking to, he was writing to, who would probably have heard Jesus. But he says, I want you to think about Jesus before his earthly ministry. I want you to take him back before his virgin birth. His virgin birth. I, I want to take you beyond the prophets, beyond the patriarchs, Abraham. I want you to take even Jesus before creation to the eternal divine word who is God. So the first thing that he wants to rivet their attention on is this. Jesus is the Christ. You remember that's what he says at the end. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But more significantly, he was there as the eternal word before time began. This is what makes Jesus so important. And, and uh, he makes such a clever beginning. And I want you young people to see if you can remember where these words are found early in the Bible. John begins his uh, account of Jesus' life by saying, In the beginning. Who can tell me where else those words are spoken? Genesis, Genesis 1. In the beginning, can anybody complete it? Right. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And when John begins his discussion with them, if you like, in the beginning was, and they'd be expecting God. But he says, in the beginning was the Word. And he's immediately got their attention because he's saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And in the beginning was the Word of God and Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus claimed to be speaking the Word of God. And he was in the beginning. The words would have, would have rung in the ears of those who were listening. In the beginning God created, yes, but how did God create? And, and boys and girls, again, I wonder, can you tell me how God created? What, what did he put together? How, how did he create the world? What did he actually do to create? Can someone tell me? He spoke. He spoke words. Do you know what words do? Words 
are the means by which we tell others what we think and what we intend doing. It would be nonsense for me just to stand up here and say nothing. Try and communicate to you without words. Nothing written up on a screen, nothing comes out of my mouth, I'm just here. No. Words are what communicates what's in our mind. And the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God because He communicates to us what is in God's mind. How often does Jesus say when He's teaching, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you my own words. These are the words the Father has given me to say. I'm speaking to you the words. And John is saying, in the beginning was the Word Yes, God created, but how did he create? What means did he use? And I think it's about eight times if you were to go to Genesis chapter 1 uh, where we're told that God created. And, uh, and, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Day 2, God said, let there be a vault in the heavens. God Day four, day five, day six, day seven. And God said, and it came to be. The word was spoken, and it came to be. Psalm Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And John is is giving um, this word, word, a person. And he's saying, this word is the person of Jesus. It's not just a, uh, it's not just a statement. It's not just um, uh, some objective thing. The word of God is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And listen how he, how he develops that. He says, the word was face to face with God. The word was with God. This, this individual who was with God in the beginning, who is the Word of God, who is the means through which God created the world, was face to face with God. Um, he didn't just come sort of out of left field. Here comes the Word by which God will create. He was there all the time. He was closely with God. In fact, says John, he was so close that the Word was God. The Word was God. And remember that John is linking Jesus to this task, who was the Word by which God created the world. We're, uh, we're, we're told in, uh, in Philippians, in Philippians, uh, ch- uh, sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, listen to these words in verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God, but you could see Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and 
John is making this very clear statement that this person whom he calls the Word, who is Jesus, is with God. But I guess we should ask, how do we really know that the Word that John is talking about here is Jesus? Well, John himself gives us the answer in verse 14, where he says, This Word that was in the beginning, that was with God, that is God, this Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John very, very subtly and very carefully um, begins identifying Jesus, not by his name Jesus, first of all, but by one of his most important functions, the Word. Jesus is the means by which God makes himself known to his creation, in his creation, and to his creation. He is the one who speaks. He makes God known. He makes the Father known. The psalmist in Psalm 107, uh, the people cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. And I wonder how many times in the Old Testament we find um, God sends his word to the prophet. Who's the one who takes that word? It's the incarnate God. It's Jesus who takes the word. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. Jesus then is uniquely important because he is the eternal Son of God who becomes the Jesus of history. He was there in the beginning. He was there in the plan of the creation of the world. He was there. He is the ultimate self-disclosure of, of God in the person of Jesus. He comes with all the weight of the Old Testament behind him. And that's why John begins his his uh, account here. In the beginning, God, people, in the beginning, there was Jesus. In the beginning, uh, he was there throughout the Old Testament. Uh, he has promised to come. The Son was coming. He is the very, uh, the very one who comes to bring us the knowledge of God. But did Jesus actually claim that for himself? It's all right, John saying that. What, what did Jesus consider his own relationship was uh, with the Father? There's a wonderful passage in John 8 where you might remember the, <coughs> uh, the religious leaders are uh, questioning who Jesus is. And he's saying, look, we've got Abraham as our father. Um, who do you think you are? Are you greater than Abraham, our father? And uh, uh, Jesus says these words uh, when they ask him who he is. If I glorify myself, he, <clears throat> he says to them, <clears throat> my glory has no meaning. My father, whom you claim as your God, he is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it 
And he was glad. And, and they said to him, Are you not yet, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And verily, verily, Jesus said to them, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There can be no doubt that Jesus knew that he was God the Son. When he is about to return, lovely, thank you. When he's about to return, and that wonderful prayer in John 17, he says these words, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, the word whom you have sent. And now, Father, he says, glorify me in your presence with, listen, with the glory I had with you before the world began. So never let anyone tell you that Jesus doesn't really claim to be God. The Word was God. Nothing less. Interestingly, God was more than the Word. And we see even in Genesis 1 there, some, some mm, coming forth of, of the, the triune God. It is the Father who speaks. It is the Word, the Son, who creates. It is the Spirit who broods over. We've got those three in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 to start with. And here, uh, Jesus is saying, I, I long to return to the glory that I had, not when the world began, but before the world began. So that's one of the great reasons why Jesus is uniquely important. And anything he says, you and I should take to account. But John goes on. The second thing that... Uh, that he tells us about the uniqueness of Jesus' authority. And we could ask, what interest does Jesus, does God have in this world? John tells us in verse 3, Through him, through this world, all things were made. And to reinforce that he says, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. There are no surprises to God. There is no time when God does not know what is happening. The wonderful thing about that is God has a day when he will be glorified in all the world. When, when the knowledge of the glory of God will spread from shore to shore. He has that day in hand which will culminate in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all how we should pray in our time that God would still be pleased to, to bring the knowledge of him in a vast way to our world. But that's another sermon. What the second thing that um, uh, John tells us about the, the unique importance of God is that he is the maker of the world. Through him all things were made. 
And, and we, we read that, uh, those verses in Colossians. In him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, they were created for him, they were created through him, and particularly, they were created for him. Why did God create all things? Children, can you tell me why God made the world? Why God made you? What's the chief purpose of life? Anyone who know your catechism? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not to be terrified by God, but to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why He made us. That's why He made the world. Everything in the world. The world belongs to Him. This is His world. It's not Adam's world. Adam was the, was the vice-regent. He failed. This is still God's world. And this world will never come to peace. It will never come to its fullest purposefulness until this world glorifies the God who made it. This is His world. And we need to remember that when we become intimidated by the uh, philosophers of this world who, who claim that you and I are the gods of this world and we are here to satisfy ourselves. What a miserable world that is. So what greater adventure in life can there be than discovering the glory of God? Uh, the psalmist says, um, I delight in your word. I meditate on it day and night. It brings me light, it gives me hope, it brings me joy, it opens my eyes to the glory of God. So if we or our world would seek to view the purpose of this world without reference to our creator and sustainer, we can't expect anything but chaos. And is that not the problem of our world today, our society today? We're trying to make use of the life that God gave us without reference to the God who gave it. And, and the Christ who brings us that word. Romans 11 says, From him and through him and to him are all things. The third thing that John tells us makes Jesus unique. Yes, he is the eternal God. Yes, he is the maker, creator, planner, the one who gives purpose to this world. But he says something else in verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of man, the light of mankind. Here's another step forward in the in the unique importance of Jesus. Not only is he the creator of life, as though life exists out there, he is life itself. Life itself resides in the person of Jesus. In him is life. What is life? Well, 
It comes from God, so it must have its essence in God. And and life consisting of the fullness of God's essence, His His perfection, His holiness, His knowledge, His wisdom, His love, His goodness, His omnipotence, His sovereignty, His grace, is all found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So life doesn't live there outside of Christ. Life is found in Christ. He is the giver of life. So if we're seeking for what life is like, we don't find it in some textbook. This is the best textbook you've got to find out what life's about. But it doesn't end in this textbook, if you'll pardon me, and I'm not getting out of form here. Um, this book points us to the person of Jesus. Isn't that what he said? Isn't this the true humanity of the Bible? It always points to Jesus. It points to the Christ. It points to the Saviour. The whole of the Jesus said, you think you know the Scriptures, but these are those that speak of me. And it's in Jesus that life resides. It's not found in some textbook. Um, it's found in Jesus, the person of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the creator of the world. In him was life. And that life was the light of all men, of all mankind. That life of Jesus becomes the light that shows you and I what life really is. That life becomes the light. Of, it's, it's, that, it's that torch in the darkness that shows us the way. It's that clarity that springs from the God who made us, who has come to us in the person of Jesus. The life God designed us to live is illustrated, is manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 is a wonderful introduction to the significance and importance of Jesus. Um, listen to the, the words that the writer begins there when he introduces us to this. He says, in the past, and it's kind of relevant to what we're looking at as Jesus the Word, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But, but, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Do you grasp that? The sun radiates the glory of God. The sun is shining out there and um, thankfully its brilliance and light is, is mediated to us through the atmosphere that God has given us so that we receive it as something that's warming and light and, and it's good, it creates life, it sustains life. Well, in the same way, Jesus radiates the glory of God. What would otherwise frazzle us? What would otherwise burn us up if the glory of God were to appear before us as sinners 
is mediated to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes the kind of the atmosphere through which God's wrath on our sin and His glory in the elimination of all that is sinful is mediated through Jesus and comes to us in grace. There is no other way of finding the glory of God to be something that is enjoyed except through the Lord Jesus Christ. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, it is to be delighted in. The glory of God is our chief end. He is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, The exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by His powerful word. The light shines in him is life and and that life is the light of all mankind and our last phrase is this the light shines in the darkness the light shines in the darkness so far we, we haven't come across any darkness before and here suddenly John brings us back to red this is where the rubber hits the road this, this word, this life, this light of life, it shines in a dark place. It shines into the darkness of our world and into the darkness of our lives. You know what darkness is? Darkness is the absence of light. And... If we try and find the purpose of life without looking to the purpose, to the person of Jesus, then we're looking for light in darkness. The, I think it's um, Isaiah who pictures um, the world looking for purpose without looking and opening its eyes to God. It says it's like a blind man groping around a wall to find out where he is and there's a corner, but where that's leading, I don't know, but I'll, I'll just follow it, or perhaps it'll lead to the right way. Now, if we want to know the purpose of life, we need our eyes opened to the Lord Jesus Christ and His purposes. This world is in darkness because this world refuses to look to the light. That's what Jesus says. Or what, what John says, the light shines in the darkness Um, and and, uh, then what is it in in John 3 but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil and our deeds are evil because we have a nature that is sinful and cannot see God cannot love Him but there's an interesting statement then the light shines in this darkness And the darkness has not overcome it. All is not lost. And and I think John is is bringing us to this point. Um, This world, without God's work and enlightenment, cannot see the light. Our older versions used to say, um, the darkness um, has not understood it. Um, The darkness 
has not accepted it. Well, that's true. It hasn't. But neither has it overcome it. It hasn't extinguished the light. The light continues to shine. And I guess the question in, in, in closing is, how does this affect you and I? The question is, how do, how do these facts um, live with us? In, in the darkness that is part of our sinful hearts, have we turned to the one true source of light? John tells us that yes, he came into this world and the world that was made by him didn't recognise him. He came to his own people, that, own, that, that, that Jewish nation, and, and they didn't receive him. Yet, but, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. He gave the right to become the children of God. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's an important word in that verse 12 of John chapter 1. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become. They didn't earn it. They didn't qualify by trying harder. They came in total dependence from darkness that cannot produce light to the light that came to them. And this is what we have. Christ, the Word, the eternal Son of God, the Creator of the world, the one who has life in himself is prepared to give that light to you and to lift you from the darkness in which the glory of God would frazzle you and fry you up. Because Jesus on that cross bore the sin that brings you darkness and death. He's paid that price. And he's won the right to give you his life. He who had no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you done what the Bible says? Have you turned around? Have you repented from that rejection of God? And have you come to Him? But have you come to Him through Jesus? For there is no other name under heaven that man could ever have their sins forgiven by. No amount of goodness that we could do would overcome our rejection and failure to love God with all our heart and strength. I don't care if you're the most perfect person in the world or the worst murderer in the world. If you and I haven't loved God with all our heart and soul and strength, we're sinners who are bound for hell.
That's what we've elected to do, and that's where we will go in our own worthiness and in our own unworthiness. But the light shines into the darkness. And as Jesus bore the sins of his people on that cross, he offers to you this morning eternal life, if you will receive him, if you will, that is, believe on his name, if you will submit yourself to the glory that belongs to him. We read these words in John 17 that Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. You have granted me all authority over all people, that I might give eternal life to all those you have given me. And my question is, have you come to the light? Have you put your trust in the name of Jesus? Jesus, the eternal God. Jesus, the creator of the world. Jesus, in whom is life forever.